Hi, this is Amber. And this is Lisa. And you're listening to Unexplained Arkansas, a new podcast that explores urban legends, mysteries, and the unsolved in the natural state. We're just two best friends discussing the unexplained in Arkansas. Hello, and welcome to Unexplained Arkansas. This is Amber. And this is Lisa. Today we will be... (laughs) Amber has no personality today. I don't. I don't have any personality. I am so sorry. I'm just going to say that right now. I don't have any personality today, so y'all are going to have to excuse me. Yeah, no personality left. (laughs) It's been a very interesting week. Um, On the plus side, I've met some great... um, listeners um, who have already started uh, developing like relationships with like as far as books and writing and a few of our listeners want to continue where we um, left off I have one that wants to continue working on the Jonathan Harden case and I'm really excited to see what he comes up with yes I've just been hearing a a lot of very exciting things and that's the very treasure in Enola episode yes it is it is we will have another Jonathan Harden episode coming up in a couple of months. Um, but for right now, that's all you get. So, yeah. <laughs> Just go back and listen to that episode. I so, think it's 18. Mm-hmm, I, don't know. I think you're right. It's 18. Okay. And today is 20. I'm, I'm losing count. <laughs> well, that means, and that's exciting. That means we made it, right? That means I know. We, <laughs> we, we did. made it past the hard points where we yes. are at 20 episodes. You know, some television series end after 20 episodes. Some seasons do. <laughs> so we're we're just we're just getting started. That's just right. Just getting started. That's right. So today we will be finishing up our episodes pertaining to the Ruby Stapleton case out of Searcy, Arkansas. This case, uh, let me tell you guys, has been an eye opener for me, for Lise. We've learned a lot. We've learned a lot this <laughs> week. We've learned a lot about podcasting, about documenting true crime, about research and the importance of finding good sources. We've also learned how important it is to keep being victim-centered and respectful in all that we do. Now, while we don't have every member of the Stapleton family on board and supportive of our podcast, we do have the tremendous support and a brand new friendship with Ruby's granddaughter, Heather, who we have talked to all week. And I just love her. She's, she's precious, Mm -hmm. but she has tirelessly worked to keep this case in the public and the memory of her grandmother alive. So our reasons for part two include a thorough examination of the case and also the opportunity to help Heather in her efforts to find justice or closure or both. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just, just to, end on that. I want people to know that we take our positions as podcasters very seriously. And our ultimate goal is to find truth and also to make people feel a little better than they did before. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. definitely. We we are very, I mean, when we, you know, and we've been talking about this all week, like we love true crime, um, not because a crime happened. Obviously we're not thrilled about that, but, um, you know, it is interesting because it's hard to fathom that people do these things. It's really hard to fathom. Um, and I also don't ever want the victims to be 
forgotten. So it seems like the victims get lost in what happened to them instead of maybe who they were and the life they led. Um, and in Ruby's case, we talked about her in the last episode. So well, she and, was and awesome. This, yeah, she was. I mean, I mean, I she was the it girl. Myself. I think that's why this has bothered me so much this week because I truly, I truly found parts of myself in Ruby's mm-hmm. story. I mean, I'm a mom. I'm a professor. I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm busy. I'm, I've got you my love hands in everything. I love laundromats. Yeah. But, um, you know, I really, I really do think that I have become so taken with this case and Miss Ruby, you know, because I do, I do know that life as mm-hmm. a working mom with kids and, um, you know, just trying, just the hustle and the bustle and trying to get everything done and get everybody, uh, to where they're happy with, you know, what's going on. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be a mom. It's hard to be a woman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is. So, so that's, that's my take on Ruby, but I did mm-hmm. want to add really fast our sources for this show and the show that we did last week. And I'm <laughs> going to go down the list and these are all articles that are in the public domain that are published or, um, you know, that, that are out there already. And this is where we took the information from last week. Um, so one of the one of the big ones was Murder Mystery Most Likely to be Murdered, Part 1 and Part 2 by Janie Jones. And this was with AY Magazine. Mm-hmm. And we also took articles from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the Northwest mm-hmm. Arkansas Democrat Gazette, APNews.com, the Southwest Times Record, GeorgePalace.com. And then, of course, today we'll be looking at case files obtained through FOIA requests from the Arkansas State Police and information provided by Ruby's granddaughter, Heather. So just to start out, you know, let me say that Lisa will be leading this one, but I do have a short intro from my episode last week that'll bring everyone up to speed. So are you ready for me to just do my quick intro? Yes. Okay. So just in case you didn't listen to part one. So the intro is this. Harding University professor Ruby Stapleton disappeared from a quiet Cersei laundromat on the late evening of October 8, 1963. The next day, law enforcement, family, students, and faculty canvassed the whole town of Cersei, only to come up short on leads. Harding College also offered a $1,000 reward, which was a lot of money back then in 63, for information that would lead to her whereabouts and to the successful prosecution of those responsible. While the leads were few, the gossip around Cersei was considerably high, as it always is, leading to the (laughs) small town to become pretty much a, well, they were in a state of frenzy and shock for about 11 days and well into the whole month of October. I Mm -hmm. mean, as we said last, uh, last week, they were trying to curtail Halloween festivities. Everyone was so shaken up by this event. Unfortunately, on Saturday, October 19th, 1963, Ruby's unclothed and brutalized body was found in a dry creek bed near Bull Creek in BB. The Arkansas State Medical Examiner quickly ruled her death a homicide, and this bizarre kidnapping case quickly turned into a murder investigation. And then what happened next was uh, a law, law enforcement investigation spanning 60 years, many law enforcement agencies, and an excruciating weight for her family. And that kind of brings us up to date. Now, I will tell you yes. that um, 
her daughter, her granddaughter, um, her granddaughter did want a copy of the case file in 2013 and was denied that case file by the Arkansas State Police. She was at home watching a TV show called Cold Justice, and she decided that she wanted to um, send her grandmother's case to the show to see, you know, to see if they could see something new. But the show only featured cases at the time referred by law enforcement. So she contacted Arkansas State Police asking for their cooperation, and they denied her a copy of the report. After that, um, basically, it it ended up that, you know, several emails were exchanged, but it ended up going to court. Um, and in April 2017, Justice Rhonda Wood wrote the unanimous opinion no charges have been brought to appear to be imminent. The victim's family and the public are entitled to know how the officials in this case, i.e. law enforcement, performed their duty or duties. After winning this lawsuit, Heather and her mother received the records, but a great deal was missing. Today, we will tell you what is in some of those records. Yes. All of them, no. No, no, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, (laughs) it's a lot. So that would take hours and hours. So, um, so I'm gonna kind of start with this is the actual, um, so this is the actual report of the whole situation, um, from the Arkansas State Police. Um, and so you did just recap some, and this will kind of get into maybe a little overlap, but. This is this is kind of in depth, and this is all typed up and just straight from the police report. Um, and so, and I will say, we kind of talked a little bit about this, but the Searcy Police Department at that time, um, they were just super small. They maybe had six officers, and so when this happened, um, you know, they did get help from the Arkansas State Police, and it was also getting help from the White County Sheriff's Office. They were, you know, submitting things to the FBI. So we'll get into all of that. Um, But it does say that uh, Ruby's body was sent to the Daniel Funeral Home. And I'm guessing that's like the Roller Daniel that would be today. That it would be the Roller Daniel that that we know today. That's what I would think. Um, Maybe there just wasn't a roller yet. Yeah, it was just... Daniel. Daniel. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so it does say abduction was at 12.05 a.m. Because that's kind of when the investigators um, found, uh, and this was October 9th of the 63, investigators found the victim's vehicle uh, parked on the blacktop parking apron. <laughs> I love this language too. 1960s language, by the way. Yes, um, we have we have gotten a crash course in... Um, in 1960s slang and 1960s language and it's interesting and not just from this i looked through a month's worth of newspapers and so i found a lot of interesting things in those a lot of things that i cut and saved and <laughs> took pictures of for later because it's so interesting it is interesting um so the apron of the launder launderama and headed toward the front wall of the obstruction this goes into a whole lot of detail. So I'll just say they found her car. <laughs> um, and then they did find in one of the dryers, some damp clothing. In fact, she was, she was using multiple dryers. So that kind of, we had talked about this dryer situation. So um, Ruby had spent the evening at her 
son's house. We had already kind of gotten into this and his washer was broken. And so she offered to do some clothes for him. And so, um, anyway, she, that's when, you know, she went missing and blah, blah, blah. So, and we've kind of gone into that, but, um, it does say when the police arrived at the laundromat, they found her car, they found the wet clothing. Um, and that's another thing. It was in the dryer, but it was damp. And so we said that the wash cycle was 20 minutes. 20 minutes. minutes. Yeah. That's what and we so, determined from the research last week. Yes. And so she had time, you know, she had been there, um, you know, had gotten her wash completely done and put the damp clothes into the dryer. So that's, I mean, so this window of time really closed even even smaller because the window that she was there in this report said from 1010 to 1055 was kind of the window. Um, and so it might've just been, Hey, you know, 1030 to 1055. That's kind of what I'm, that's what I think too, because if she went through that whole washing cycle of 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. then she put them in the dryer and it had to be after Ten thirty when this happened. Yes, I would think so. And and obviously before ten fifty five and we'll kinda get into that. Um that is a very, very short time for something like that to happen. I don't remember what show I was watching earlier this week, but they Mm -hmm. were talking about the amount of time it takes to do a crime. Oh, I remember it was one of it was something on the Idaho stuff. And they were talking about Mm -hmm. how he was in there for sixteen minutes. And that's a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah, because the girl yeah, we could go on and on about that case, but um, right. that's those. But time uh, is yeah. definitely a factor because you have to mm-hmm. get in there, decide you're going to take this person, get her out unwillingly, you know, more than likely, mm-hmm. and get her to the next location. Yes, and and Doctor Benson had even described Ruby, um, and just as in her mannerisms and such, that she would have been a fighter. Um, and we'll kind of, uh, you know, we'll just let the listeners decide what they want from this but i know my thoughts on it so very small window um of time there so um it did say a search of the victim's automobile revealed a dish pan um identified as her property so they kind of knew it was her car um and it did have some whisk in it which is like a laundry detergent i know what whisk Um, is i think okay i think my my grandmother used whisk i think you know so we're gonna kind of get further into this but one of the statements um, from Ruby's family talked about this whisk. And I was like, whisk, whisk. And then it kind of went into some other stuff because I had forgotten about whisk. Like, then they mentioned Tide. And I was like, oh, Tide. You know, it was like a detergent. But anyway, um, it said a search of the victim's automobile and the entire area of the deduction failed to locate her purse um, or the keys to her automobile. And, and we had talked about that in the last episode. Like, we were like, where did those go? Um, so they did not find it. It was not there. Um, it did say, um, location of body. So at five fifteen, it goes further to say October 19th. So this is, you know, 10 days later, um, it did say a witness found the victim's body. Um, and it was on a soft dirt of, of dry Creek bed at the bottom of a, a soft dirt bank, um, about 13 feet and high. That was the bank height. Um, and it was called the Blue Bayou, which we're going to, this will be important down the road. You mean the Bull um, the, Bayou? 
Yeah, bull. What did I say? Blue Bayou, like Blue. the Rod Stant. <laughs> like they're Linda oh, Rod no. Stant song, Blue Bayou. I don't even know that song. But anyway, I do because I Blue, like her. Bull. I was about to say it again. Bull Bayou. Um, and this creek bank was covered um, with vegetation and fallen leaves. Um, so it And it was October, so that definitely lines up. Um, it did say a piece of driftwood of an under... Uh, underdetermined length was also just right there with her body. So it was kind of from the top of the bank and with her body there. And it kind of ran parallel to the creek bed. So this goes into a whole lot of detail about the placement of her body. But, you know, it, it did say the spot that the body was found was near that old Macrae BB road that you had mentioned. Um, yes. And it did say, um, the victim was found lying on her back. Um, and it does show that she was like headed to the Creek, like her, like she was pointed at the Creek and her feet towards the Creek bed. Um, and the left leg was just outstretched and the right leg was kind of bent. And then her head was turned to the left. So it kind of describes which way she was facing as well. Um, so I will say I am, I don't, anywho, I'm glad there's not pictures in the file. <laughs> no, let's no. just put it that way. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think I could handle that. Um, no. And so it goes further to talk about, um, you know, how she was laying and like her arms and how they were. But it did say something very interesting here. Um, so it did say the um, there was. It said a shallow cut extending from the area of, you know, her vagina area up to the front center of her torso to a point about five inches below her throat so, to so me there was that, a cut so to me that'd be cutting the clothes off don't you think yes that was my thinking so because it did say that she was found naked and it does talk about so you know we talked about how a belt and a button were located but there was also something else there was her brazier so that because what happened was yes i think that a knife was taken to just cut off her clothes and it cut the brazier right in the middle and so the brazier was actually located under her body um and remind me to tell you about that those those items will come up later too so it was like a belt the brazier and then there was a button and that kind of makes sense to me too because he was cutting. So it was like parts. So I think they were cutting off the clothing to take the clothing. And then they left those pieces. And of course the brassiere was underneath her. So it was like, you know what I'm saying? So that's, that's what I'm thinking. Now I do wish, obviously this is 1963. They didn't go into, you know, they would have been able to tell now if that cut was made post-mortem post-mortem yeah that would be very interesting to me to know um, what was the reason for taking that extra step post-mortem yes because you know they did say the body was so decomposed that although she was nude there really wasn't any there wasn't any physical evidence to show that she was sexually assaulted so that you know i we don't know what the point of the removing of the clothes, if it was just to maybe remove evidence or maybe make it look like it had a sexual component, but it really didn't. So right. 
Um, so those are kind of up in the air just because of just the time, you know, just the 1963 and the way that it was um, investigated. So it does say a few minutes. So it goes into some facts of the case here, uh, just the facts portion, which I thought was really interesting. So it said a few minutes before 10, the victim arrived. That's when she arrived at the, and it calls it the Norge Londorama. Maybe that was the family. Um, But she was driving a white 1961 Comet station wagon. I would um, totally she, drive that, just FYI. I cannot even imagine what that looks like. So oh, I'm gonna I would need, definitely I'm gonna, drive that. Okay, I'm going to need a visual on that. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> um, and it said the victim entered the structure and placed her uh, soiled items, you know, in on the floor. And then she engaged with the attendant, who was a Mrs. C.R. Hedgie. That's what it looks like. Um, and then they had a brief conversation and then they walked next door. So this kind of hit I me wish different I wish my name too. was Mrs. Hedgie and I drove a white <laughs> station wagon. Both of those things are true you, right now. You want those? You yeah. want that? Okay. Well, yes. I mean, there's nothing in in the rules of whatever that says you can't change your name to Hedgie and get that car. Unless, I mean, unless you just can't find it. I don't know. But anyway, um, it says that they walk next door to Harrison's grocery because the Londorama was attached. But this hit me a little bit interesting because this was 10 o'clock and, and this was a Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and Ruby was like 59. Well, maybe she was a night owl. She must have been because hey, and, you know all the good television shows ended at like what eight in nineteen sixty three, probably I mean, eight yeah. Or nine. So it's not like it's not like people stayed home to watch Netflix. No, oh, that that is very true. I'm just thinking, like if I'm out past nine, especially on a Tuesday night, like something's wrong. Yeah, or it's that's a ball true. game. That's true. <laughs> or it's a ball game. Okay, unless, so in- unless it's a ball game, I'm usually in my house at that time because I have three yeah. kids. So. Maybe we're just tired. We're old, I, I don't Lisa. Know. Old, we're just old. say it. But we're she old. was 59. <laughs> anyway, it just hit me that that, and that also that the Harrison's grocery store was open and people were, and the Lana oh, Rama had like Harrison's people. grocery store. I thought it was Angel's Food. No, at that time it was oh. Harrison's Grocery. That's what it says. They, they walked next door. Um, and she purchased, she went ahead and purchased whisk because she was on the way there in other statements. It did say she was very concerned about not having whisk. Like she even mentioned, I guess, title cut it. So she really had a thing for whisk. Well, that's, that's how I so feel about Tide. Cause I always used, I use that Priscilla stuff. You started I, using. Yes. I love yes. Priscilla. The Tide will cut awesome. it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tide gets it when I can't find Priscilla, I guess, but it's just interesting. Cause she was very about this whisk. And so that's why she went to Harrison's and, and while in there, um, she did talk to people. So, and then she began, um, washing her clothes. And so she was like really engaged with, washing her clothes and talking to everyone and hanging out. So, and this was about like, I guess the lady, the attendant, she left at 10, 10. So that's why they said from 10, 10 to 10, 55, you know, she, that was the window of being alone. Um, it did Golly, say that is not much time at all. No, it, it's really not. Especially when you think about the fact that even if she had just started her wash at maybe ten o five, that put her putting the stuff into the, 
the dryer at 1025, let's say 10, you know, 1025 to 1030. So it's just a really small window of time here. Um, it does say a James Williams. Uh, he was the operator of the Cersei roller rink. Uh, he closed down at 10 and he, and listen to this, Andy, um, are you listening? Mm-hmm. I am. Okay, you just looked at me. Okay, <laughs> but you looked well, at I me like to look away. I don't know. Maybe am I to look away, Damien. <laughs> hey, no, not <laughs> Damien. Like in Mean Girls, not Damien. Like in The Omen. <laughs> don't look. at I me. didn't know where you were going <laughs> with the Damien's. Uh, I was like Damien. That's Eccles. my I favorite do, Damien. I, no, not him. His... My favorite Damien is from Mean Girls. Okay. Yeah. I, I do have a Damien Eccles story. Remind me to tell you. Okay. okay. Um, I have several stories to tell you. But anyway, um, this guy at the roller ring, this is important. <laughs> this I'm has listening. a point. I'm, I'm okay. listening. So he closed the roller rink, which I'm guessing that roller rink is where it is, like evidently in 63, I think it was out where it is now but that's interesting really? but he did i know but he did say he closed it at 10 and he left the rink about 10 30 and he drove the three miles distance yeah that would be about three miles um down from where this would be and he passed the Londorama between 10 30 and 10 40 and he observed an unidentified woman alone in the Londorama apparently wow. engaged in watching. So he saw her. So she was visible between 1030 and 1040. So then that, Oh my gosh, that, that is, is even smaller. I know this is closing a tremendous gap here. Okay. Um, so yeah, so there's some more facts going. So remember that too. I mean, that, that to me says a whole lot. So, and I will say, this is really interesting. And in, in the articles that were on the line, it said a young boy, remember a young boy was kind of sent in to collect clothing? Yeah, clothing. that's what it, it said online. Yeah, that's not My true. My source so listen, said, no, a what? It's not true? It's not true. So listen to this. Oh, Stay gosh, tuned. What? Okay. I know. I know this police file is just, has all the, the facts. So a Jack Gardner, an employee of Porter Rogers Farms, um, he had washed his clothes earlier in the day. So earlier that day, he had left his clothing there. Okay. So um, he, he went into the Londorama at 1055 um, to basically come back and get his stuff. And he observed. So, so what happened okay. to the nice little boy going to get the laundry I, for his mom? That never happened? I think happened? that's like the telephone game. I don't. Oh, okay. I, I think it didn't happen. <laughs> um, I don't know how and why that, that was in the papers, but that was not accurate and information. Yes, and that that was what was in the paper. Because mm-hmm. this Jack Gardner would have been interviewed um, and such. Because this is, yeah, he had left. He did notice, he, he stated, he observed a white Comet station wagon parked in front of the building, um, noticed a basket of clothing, which appeared to have been completed wash on the floor and in front of the dryer. So it was in front of the dryer. He noticed that the door of the dryer was open and then it, it was kind of partially. So they came in. This is really interesting. He They came in to, to nab her, whoever this was, while she was loading it. Because it's kind of half. Half it's in, half, half out. Yes. So wow. she, had put the, she had put the wet clothes in the basket to carry it to the dryers. So that's the imagery I'm getting. And she was basically loading up the dryer. So she wasn't even done. Because there was some in the dryer and some not. Wow. That's very specific. I know. Very specific. Um, It does say within minutes after. Oh, sorry. Uh, Skip some 
some stuff. Okay, at 12, it does say the Searcy Police Department. Uh, that's when they received the phone call from Mary Claire Stapleton. Um, and Mary Claire is Ruby's daughter um, that was living with her. And so she had called at that time to, and this is just part of the fact notes, she had called at that time to kind of tell the police, hey, my mom's at the Londorama and she hasn't come home, you know? Um, so they, she just asked and she didn't drive. The girls didn't drive. Mary Claire was living there and Clarita was living there. Um, so they wanted the police to drive by and check on her mom. And so, uh, within minutes of that phone call officers, uh, Dean Hunter, um, and another, this is very hard to read by the way. Um, part of this file, I will say shame, shame, shame on the Arkansas state police. <laughs> for the way the file was submitted to uh, Ruby's granddaughter. Cause it's, it is hardly legible, but anyway, um, we'll kind of, that's a different story, but um, it did say that they were, she was kind of concerned because she did mention in other notes that Ruby had like a heart, uh, you know, just some heart pro I mean, she was 59. I guess she just, they were worried that she had just like fainted or passed out. Like they were thinking that she, they were going to just find the police were going to find her there. Yeah, that it was like a medical emergency. Yes. So that's where, that's where their mind goes. And that's, that's kind of a natural situation, I would think. Um, and so anyway, the officers, you know, went by and that's when, you know, uh, they call, they call back to, uh, to Mary Claire and told her that, what they found, you know, told her what they found and that, you know, she wasn't there. And anyway, so yeah. So then they picked up Mary Claire and then they drove her to the, the Londorama so she could kind of see it herself. Um, and so she was like, Oh, and so then she was like, well, I need to go tell my brother Glenn. Okay. Are you with me? I am with you. Okay, so I think it's just frozen. The screen was frozen, and your face is just like, eh. <laughs> like in deep thought. Um, okay, so they drive out to Glenn's house, which is kind of like you're going towards BB, you know, um, kind of down the highway a little bit. And so they had, like, Glenn and them had gone to sleep after, um, after Ruby had left his house around nine. You know, they mentioned that they maybe watched a little more TV. He had showered and he had shaved. So he was in bed. Okay. So when they got to his door, you know, he, I mean, they were clearly tired, like him and his wife, Glenn and his wife. And Glenn is Ruby's son. Okay. Yeah. We didn't Just, recap that part. Yes. Okay. Okay. So the police department, uh, then the Cersei police department then notified the sheriff. So like I said, they're getting kind of everyone involved in this um so they did get uh the white county sheriff's uh department involved about the incident about the missing person um and his name was jack price so that could that could come up later um yes yes and it will um and it did say that evening there was you know we had kind of gone into this a little bit there were some kind of unusual things going on there had been some robberies but that evening right near the laundromat there were two of the tire stores broken into okay yeah and yes and did we and talk very about that little, we did we talked okay. about it and very little was was taken from yes. either one of those businesses mm -hmm. yes and it looks like they had kind of the police actually observed um it was a city tire 
and then another tire place. Um, and it was, they observed that the, the people had like, there was broken glass and it, yeah, it was literally, do you want to know how much money it was? Do you remember? It I was, think it was less than $2 at both oh, places. It was, it was $3 from each place. Oh. So six total dollars was all, and they did not take any type of, um, equipment or anything. So they didn't take did you any merch. See Mabel bite me in the face. I dis. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to say anything or not. I did, well, I lo- no, I didn't actually see that because I was, I was looking at this and then I looked, I saw her jump into, you were petting her and then. And she bit yeah. my face. What in the world well, is wrong with you, cat? Doesn't, doesn't Max do that too? <laughs> Everybody just bites. I was wondering if you were just going to keep going or say something about the cat attacking my face. At the time I saw you, I you guys were happy, (laughs) (laughs) having a little pet party. Oh my gosh! Anywho, moving on. So, so then it goes. Oh, I've already gone into that. So moving forward. Um. So we've talked about all that. The other tire shop was actually called the Brookshire Tire Shop, and of course. We don't know anything about the, about these places because, you know, we were just, we weren't even a twinkle well, in our parents' say, My eyes. mother was like four, so. Yeah, your yeah. mother was four. Mine was, yeah, 12. I don't even know. Uh, 12. <laughs> at No, 13 at the time of this. Okay. So it did say um, kind of later in the early morning of October 9th. So this was like 2 a.m. It did say this. Oh, this is more about the city tire. Um they and how they observed the plate glass okay so they did also another fact about all this is charlotte glenn rose she was 14 um and she was the one that had rode out to glenn's house earlier in the evening um with ruby okay so this was charlotte um and so she just she just mentions that she was at home um and about 7.30, you know, that's when Miss Stapleton kind of pulled up. I guess she lived near her. Okay, so um, back up just a second. Okay. So when I was doing my research, mm-hmm. the newspaper or there was there was one of the sources, and I have it somewhere, that she went out to the Suns alone, but she did have somebody with her. She did. To, oh, yeah. Okay, so that was mm-hmm. wrong, too, what we had yeah. found in. Um, yes. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. A lot of a, a lot of the reason you have to look straight at the case files because mm-hmm. some of it, like you said, it's like a giant game of telephone yes and i don't know where you know i know that i'm sure the newspapers are doing the best they can yeah, when they're they doing are. their articles you know, I, was, um, I was a reporter for that very newspaper so i know yeah. you know these these um these things are quick turnaround these deadlines yes. things like that so i understand I, i'm not shaming them for getting things wrong because goodness knows i got and, a few things wrong And I will say, you know, we had, we had had a conversation, you know, with Heather the other day and we were both taking notes and I looked back at my notes and I'm like, oh my, I hope Amber's notes look better than mine. And then you realized they didn't. Well, we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I, or hopefully your memory and my memory will serve our handwriting correct. Well, so. <laughs> I, I write like a former reporter and a former uh, waitress, if you can imagine oh what that would be. Oh, that's awful. Well, they, I'm a In lefty. Shorthand. I'm a, I'm a lefty righty people. So there I'm ambidextrous. I'm very ambidextrous, but let's just say both hands produce bad writing. Yes. You can ask anybody. Yes, they do. <laughs> Yes, they do. So, um, but it does say, so 
Charlotte, you know, Ruby picked up Charlotte in the station wagon that you want. Um, yep. She picked her up about 730 and that's when they were going to head out um, to Glenn's house. And basically, I guess they were just going to go visit. You know, it just says that they were uh, that they had arranged to go visit uh, Glenn's house and his wife, Pat. So they get into the station wagon and they head out um, and basically they visit with the family. They're just kind of hanging out. Um, I guess the children were kind of one of the children or whatever was kind of sickly. And so there was a conversation about how the next, like there was a plan made that Ruby was going to actually help Pat get um, one of the kiddos to the doctor. So that was mentioned and Charlotte did, did remember that. So she talks about that. And then Charlotte did also remember um, about how like the washer, like Pat had come in and and was like, Hey, the washer's not working. And then, um, you know, Glenn had gone out and uh, Ruby had followed, you know, how that happens, you know, to kind of check out everything. And then that's when the plan, you know, cause Ruby was like, well, Hey, I can just go, you know, get this done, you know, for you. Cause I've got some, I've got some laundry. So, I'm just going to tell you that Ruby, (laughs) I mean, all the things that she's doing is amazing to me because, and it just, and it does very much remind me of my mother. I hate doing my son's laundry and I live with them. (laughs) Well, you're, you know, he's one day you're going to be like, bring your, no, no, I'm going to do and your grandchildren right there. No, whatever you will. No. You will too. Once they start multiplying, no. Yeah. People need to do their own laundry. Well, I'll just tell you right now, Elle, I'm doing your laundry and I'm doing your grandkids' laundry. And you can do mine too. (laughs) But my mom used to do all that stuff. Like, I don't know. Just, it just reminded me very much. Ruby was reminding me very much of my mom and she kind of had a little, I don't know, my mom vibe in her looks and everything. It was kind of weird. She looked like she could be related. But anyway, okay, so now the next fact goes into um, Glenn. And I guess they called him Glenn Dewey. But um, he just said something. This was more conversation that Charlotte remembered about the washer and dryer. So this went into a lot of information about that. Um, And it did also, she, she just remembers back that, you know, as they were pulling away. So they finally loaded up the car with the the clothes and Charlotte's remembering that Ruby was very concerned. Like she pulled over and was like, do we have the whisk? And like, she went to look for it. <laughs> so again, I'm, right. I'm laughing that, because it's the really whisk keeps coming up. Yeah, I know it really, it came up. The whisk came up many, many times, which yeah. I think is, is very interesting. So anyway, well, that's what my grandmother used. I remember. Yeah. It must have just been like the Persil of its day. Probably. Probably I guess. so. So she went, so she did, um, Missile State, Mrs. <laughs> Ruby, I called her, she was just saying, I guess she called her Mrs. Mrs. Stapleton. Um, she, they left. And so Ruby took Charlotte home. So she didn't take, you know, obviously Charlotte did not go. And I'm thinking, man, it's a shame that she didn't go because maybe things would have. If someone had been home, because no one was home yet at yeah, Ruby's house, know, like though. I, I mean, know somebody could have been following her and yeah. watching her and waiting for the next time she was alone. You that's know, that, true. That, you know that could have yeah. been the case. Who knows? That's that's just yeah. you know. Thinking it's just out those loud. what ifs. Like it's the, the what ifs. ifs you can't. Ifs, you, ifs. can't you can't. I know. You know what if yourself to death. You know. Yeah. You can't uh, should all over yourself. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> yes, but it's like, oh, 
If only. Uh, if only. Uh, but um, just hate it. So um, she just said that she, that Charlotte was saying that she hadn't seen Ruby since 905. And that was the time that she dropped her off. So, um, and then Clarita, who was 20. So Clarita, you know, was living with Ruby. Um, we'll kind of get into that because she does have, give a statement um, later on. But her and Mary uh, Claire had been kind of hanging out. They had gone to a meeting at Harding um, at the Bible building. Um, they attended a meeting there at about six 30. And then after that, they were kind of hanging out with some friends. So they were just doing their college life stuff, you know, living, living the dream. So, right. um, so they it kind of gets into a little bit of that and we're going to get into their statement. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to go deep, deep into that right this second. Okay. Because I am going to just focus on their, um, sorry, on their kind of uh, statements that they provide later on. So we'll kind of, we'll kind of glaze over for now, but bear with me. Okay. Um, so it does go into some facts. Uh, it does say ER uh, Stapleton was uh, of the victim. So he was going to, he was going to be, it says the husband, the uh, Sorry, the husband of the victim was interviewed at 11 o'clock October 10th. So this would have been very, very shortly after she was, you know, and it just said, mentioned that he had been teaching. um, So he had probably immediately flown in from what I can gather. uh, But he had been teaching at that point at Superior State College. Um, He had actually started working there in in September. Yes, in Wisconsin. So he was in Wisconsin and he had just started. Like this was a new, a new thing. And we'll kind of get into all of that. So he had kind of been at several different places um, there, but it said when he questioned, now this, I kind of start. So at this point, this is the 10th. So he mentions, and this is Ray Stapleton. He also went by ER. He went by doc as well. Cause he was Dr. Stapleton. Um, but it just said regarding the victim's disappearance, he replied that his only thought was she could have been abducted by a transient or possibly a Mexican. And, if, uh, you know, we would not maybe say that in those terms today. Um, but this is his words. Um, so he mentioned that they would travel between Illinois and Texas. Um, so he did elaborate on this theory by stating that his wife was very dark complected. Um, so that was where he thought, you know, people would think that she was of Spanish descent. So that's what he had told the police at that time. Um, he did also make the remark that his wife, um, had led a golden life, uh, and that she was dedicated very much to the church and the school, um, and she had constantly worked towards goals and met those goals. Um, he did deny at the time that he was questioned that the separation, you know, cause they were separated. So at that time on the 10th, you know, Ray was saying that it had nothing to do with marital troubles. Um, but that it was just that he loved his wife very much and that he kept close contact with her and the family. And that basically there had been a disagreement with policy at Harding College. It was called Harding College at that time. Um, and now it's called Harding University. But um, he just remarked at that time about that. Um, and he was just trying his best to to bear up under his. So he so he was very stricken with grief. And he knew that his 
daughter was grief. So this was what he was conveying on the 10th. So kind of remember that. Um, it did go. So it just says he stated to investigators um, that he would have complete cooperation uh, with them. And then he also, at that time, this was his first, like I said, interview. He did sob and cry. Um, and after the tears. According to the report. This is all in the report um, with the police. He, he did make the remark that his wife was loved by everyone um, and that his only complaint ever was that he had lost, you know, she had lost her sense of values and uh, appeared more dedicated to the church and school than to her home. So which is, I, which, which is what AY Magazine printed mm-hmm. in 2018 when they did mm-hmm. their two-part series. They said they, they talked about all of this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this, um, and I'm anywho, I, you know, I'm sure that happens with some women, you know, I mean, you get, I mean, that was her priority. So, and that was kind of his, like her priority was the church and the school and that will come up kind of later on as well. So, um, he did say later on within an hour of this initial contact, um, Ray would receive a telephone call, it said at the sheriff's office, relating relating that the man who had kidnapped the victim was now on the phone attempting to extort money. Um, so, yeah, investi- and it said investigators traveled to the scene, contacted telephone officials, and traced the call to a phone booth in Lubbock, Texas. So, did you go into this? Yes. Okay. So, so that was about the gray Chandler and then um, his friend. And that's the Carl Karash. Is that right? And and that was also very well documented in uh, the magazine, newspaper and internet articles. And we'll kind of get into their, because they were interviewed and we'll kind of get into their responses on that. Um, But it does say that, that, you know, he kept them on the phone and that the FBI, you know, would interview these people later um, and they were going to charge them with fraud by wire. So we kind of said that and that will kind of that will be important at a later date. OK. OK. So according um, to just an autopsy summary, when they did the autopsy, her her body, it just says, was badly decomposed. Um, it did state that there was a broken hyoid. Is that how you say that? The hyoid uh, bone. That's that kind of that bone in the throat that kind of tells the. If somebody's been strang- strangled. Yes. Okay. Yes. I think yeah. that's hyoid. Um, and then it does state also a broken thyroid cartilage. So broken thyroid cartilage there. And then it does mention that the cotton, you know, was pushed down in the, you know, so far into the throat. Does that make sense? And, yes. And we'll kind of post this. This is, I'm going to take a picture that this is so, just to let, you know, the listeners know how the file was presented um, to Heather. It It's just, it's almost, some of the pages are almost completely illegible so at this point you know we had already been into the abduction and what happened that night um and all of that happened on the 8th and then so 
interviews kind of got started on October 14th. And there was also, and now what we did in the summary was mentioned that Ray was first interviewed on the 10th. Okay. But then Mary Claire would be interviewed on the 14th. So we're going to, we're going to get into that. Bear with me. There's too much here. Okay, so to kind of summarize Mary Claire, so she, again, just mentioned that she went, you know, her and her and Clarita were there living, you know, with Ruby. Um, and Mary Claire did say that she had spent some time away from Ruby. She had actually gone to school at Lipscomb College. Um, and that she was, so she was actually back at Harding. So Mary Claire, you know, did kind of have the typical relationship with her mother that was a little bit volatile. <laughs> um, Clarita would say that Mary, Mary Claire had like a temper, uh, that she was hot tempered, um, in the, her statement, um, in Clarita's statement, you know, she just mentioned that Ruby, you know, was a little bit messy. Um, she did also mention that she was very caring. You know, I, I think she was very like all about doing things a certain way. So maybe a little like OCD about things, but she did mention that she also maybe couldn't cook so well. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, it was kind of like messy, didn't really cook. She didn't really care about her, you know, appearance. Like she didn't, you know, didn't, she didn't care about that. Um, I, I will say in there, in both of the girls' statements that they did comment to Ruby how nice her hair looked that, that day, that Tuesday that she went, um, you know, that she disappeared, she had gone to get her hair done. Oh. <laughs> so they were trying to, you know, there was a lot of, Mary Claire had a lot of contention about the way that her mother kept things. And so I think she had kind of vocalized this. And so she was, she said that they were kind of in a better place at this time because she was trying to kind of give her some you know, good affirmations and positive, you know, like, Hey, your hair looks really nice today. <laughs> so, but Ruby did go get it done. And evidently she would do that every so often, or, um, Mary Claire did say that sometimes she offered to fix it. Um, and what I thought was really interesting and in these hair, this is about hair, but, um, when Mary Claire got home, she went to find Clarita. Um, and this was, you know, that same night, that Tuesday night, when Ruby wasn't there, but Clarita was up there setting her, she says she was rolling her hair. <laughs> nice. So I know. So I guess that's what they did before. Well, yeah. They go to bed. Did you I, never watch Grease? Well, <laughs> I did, but all I can remember is, you know, I don't know. All the singing. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Summer I, I, days I could, yeah. drifting away. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah. I could, um, <laughs> I, I can don't see, know. I can see that as being a usual thing. People rolling their hair at night. Yeah, I guess that's how. I don't. I don't know. I don't I see how people slept like that. I know. I'm just thinking. Wow, because I do remember being 
I do remember being a little girl and and using those foam rollers or sponge rollers and I how... always use foam rollers. Oh my goodness. How awful Don't you remember that, that? Was to sleep. On. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you were always rolling your hair. I I did. Somehow. I was a big hair roller. I did use my, my mom would roll my hair with like the hot rollers typically yeah, like I used those the too. next day. So yeah, that was kind of something I did. But just the thought of her sitting there rolling her hair, like they were chatting it up, doing girl talk, and like she was rolling her hair. I was like, oh, that's adorable. <laughs> Anywho, I want to know more about this. So people phone us in or that, <laughs> you know, you email about, us. <laughs> about 60s hair care? Yes. I want to okay. know like the procedure. So oh, okay. I'm just very, I just want to know for my own thing it's just it's very like I have a picture of it in my mind and it's just very cute of them just hanging out doing their hair but again uh, watch Grease (laughs) watch Grease Frenchie was trying to be a hairdresser right is that right okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) am I remembering that right okay so back to the girls conversations about so you know she did Clarita kind of went into Ruby and the household. She said that the household was pretty, I mean, things were better. She didn't, Clarita was pretty easygoing, it sounded like. And and Mary Claire and her mother just kind of erupted a little bit. Um, Mary Claire just wanted some room to be her own self and such. Like any teenage girl. Yes, this is so normal. Like hearing about it is so normal um, to me. And according to other statements, um, some by... Uh, her brother Glenn and and others like Mary Claire was kind of a daddy's girl. And so you can imagine that there was, you know, even though Ray stated that there weren't, you know, marital issues there, you know, there, there were, they were, they were separated um, in, in the true fashion. Like they weren't, they hadn't been living, uh, truly living together as husband and wife for like, nine years or so. I think that he would come into town and they would hang, hang out, you know, he would hang out with the family and visit with the family. Um, but yeah, the, the kids knew. So Mary Claire, I think there was some contention and there was definitely some illusions. And in Mary Claire, she went as far as to say at that time, you know, cause this was the 14th and her mother's body would not um, be found until the 19th. And so she did say that she had prayed, you know, that her mother was, was not passed, but if she was, that she prayed that her mother had gotten right with God and that she, you know, her mother could kind of make living in the house kind of awful, like basically, Um, you know, there was just a lot of contention between Mary Claire. And I think some of that was, you know, she was a daddy's girl daddy wasn't there. She didn't understand all the backstory. All she knew was that her father wasn't there and that her mother wasn't well kept. And so, I mean, it just sounds like normal teen daughter, mom type stuff. It does. It really does. And to me, it seems like going, you know, kids of nowadays, kids of divorce. Like I will say Ruby was not wanting to get a divorce because of, I mean, you just didn't get a divorce. This was 1963 and she was fine living the way they were. (laughs) And yeah. And that's, that's just how it is. Does that make sense? But she wasn't going to get a divorce. Um, and so she also wasn't 
obviously going into all of the marital things with her children as well. Um, and so there was just some, there was just some contention there. And she just mentions, now she did mention <laughs> in Mary Claire's statements. And I thought that this was really cute. This kind of reminded me of you and your oldest, <laughs> oh, yeah. but she mentioned the day, I guess it was Tuesday. So normally, you know, people didn't eat out. Cause I'm thinking, well, why didn't she just pop a, pop tart or anyway she came she came down uh you know she was going to classes her mom was already up out early her mom ruby had made breakfast for them that morning okay so so ruby had gotten up got ready made breakfast had it all laid out for these girls and then she left so and then i guess clarita did not have a morning class but mary claire did and she came down and she she was like, breakfast was laid out. I had some breakfast. It was a little cold, but, you know, I had some breakfast. And then later they all met back for lunch. So, so she, all three of them had lunch together. So she put together a lunch and she said it was a very good lunch. And, and that was interesting to me because Clarita had commented on how the food was not good. <laughs> the food. And I'm thinking if someone well, was cooking. <laughs> well, I was, I, that was, that's probably how my kids would describe my cooking hmm. the food really? was not good the <laughs> you think but yeah. you're a good cook i don't know well but... I, I don't cook kids food very well oh like, yeah yeah well i don't I cater that. to kids with my menus yeah i guess i should have... but i just <laughs> well yeah. you have three of them <laughs> i know maybe that's why they say i'm a bad cook that's I, nice. yeah. or, or maybe why you have to run around town getting everybody different food yeah well, I mean, I like casseroles. Nobody else likes casseroles. Oh, I like yeah. beans and cornbread. Nobody else likes that. I like vegetable <laughs> soups. I like eating like I'm 85. So you do because that's the way it's always been. So yes, you, you cook like your granny. So I'm guessing Ruby kind of cooked maybe like her parents, but, but Mary Claire did say how good lunch was. And I think she had commented. So she was trying to, again, compliment Ruby where compliments should be. So I think that they had really worked on their connection i guess but um she did say later on that she had come home and it was maybe like 5 or 5:30 and ruby was there and she did say that ruby was i think it was a little bit odd because ruby had not cooked dinner <laughs> and then she had told her and ruby was like well i'll cook i'll just tell me what you want and i'll cook it well mary claire went up to do her hair and came back down and was mad at ruby and this reminded me of you and your oldest, <laughs> but she was mad at Ruby because normally Ruby, normally when Mary Claire would say, Hey, I don't know, Ruby would just fix her something. And so she'd have food just there. Well, this particular night, she said her mom was very, there was something going on. We'll kind of get into a little backstory later, but like a little later, but something was up and she was distracted. Ruby was distracted. And she and Mary Claire was mad because she did not have dinner. <laughs> she was like, where's my dinner, lady? Yeah. <laughs> so, and in my head, I'm thinking, well, why did, I mean, this is 1963. I don't know. I mean, like, why don't you just pick up some Chick-fil-A at the cafeteria? But wait. Because oh. everything closed at it's, five, probably. I know. And, it's and there was no Chick-fil-A. I know. But now there is at yes. Harding, people. There's. There's Panda Express too, by the way. So we have partaken. Um, but coming from their statements, so basically the bottom line is they recalled everything that happened in their day. Um, that I didn't see anything weird or you know pertaining to that. They did 
just state, you know, Mary Claire stated that Ruby was distracted, but there was nothing else. It was just a normal day um, as far as that goes into. And then Glenn also, he, he went into similar, like his statement to the police um, and his statement was also on the 14th of October. Um, he just mentioned that he was very close to his mother that, and that he wasn't that close to his dad. And I'm guessing, you know, I, I think that that's, pretty normal too like a mama's boy and I, I don't know I have one daughter so yeah I have three mama's boys yeah, you have three mama's boys and I see that in your boy and I see that in other people's boys and it's like yeah so I think that he was very close with his mom and obviously he lived in Cersei but it did say in his statement um that he did try to go live with his dad and he had actually tried to attend college because his dad was working and living in Texas at that time during this nine year situation. Um, and that he even, I think he even got, when he got married, he was in Texas, like with his dad. So he was, he what he did spend some time away from Ruby and more close to his dad, but I guess he had been back to Cersei and back to Ruby uh, for a while so he was much close he just mentions that he was much closer to ruby and he felt like mary claire was a lot closer to his dad ray so he he just felt like that um and he did mention that they would you know ruby and mary claire would argue of course and we you know we know that that was and i i see this as also like maybe they were a lot alike probably <laughs> I think you tend to, and plus, I think you, and and I think it's a girl thing too, but um, yeah, I think she, she obviously, Ruby did a lot for her daughter. I don't even think she realized how much she was doing until she came down and was like, where's my dinner? Right. right. <laughs> like, like, how dare you? So anywho. I've heard that um, before. Where's my dinner, mom? You, where's dinner? Yeah. I, I heard it today, actually. I... I'll tell you what Elle did to me today. So I am waiting for her in the hallway. I'm subbing at school. I'm looking for her, like actively looking for her in the hallway. And then I come back in the classroom and her Stanley was sitting beside my bag. So that stinker literally ran into the classroom, dropped her Stanley off and did not say hi to me. I can, I can see that. Not once, not <laughs> once. I had tears. No, I'm just kidding. And I, I texted her and I, I said, Elle, did you leave your Stanley cup and not say hi to me? And she's like, I, um, you didn't see me. I walked right past you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, how rude. Um, so yes. <laughs> so I won't go, you know, I'm not going to read you the whole of Mary Claire's, but that's just to summarize. Do you have any questions about Mary Claire's? Nope, I don't. That's kind of sounds like just a normal mother daughter rare fest, you mm -hmm. know. I mean, I had that too when I was growing yes. up. I was quite a handful, very much so. And it really, well, you don't have to agree like... so quickly. <laughs> you and your granny, oh, yeah. I just remember her saying, "Can I say it?" Yeah, I don't. She'd care. be like, "What she she'd be like, Amber, you darn fool." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a big one yeah <laughs> and I would just always crack up and you were always yelling at her and you'd be like you know do this and do that and she'd be like blah, blah. I mean you guys would fight all the time and then I truly knew that that's love 
that was your love language. We were just yellers, I guess we were. So So I feel like Mary Claire and Ruby were a lot like you and Granny. Yeah, probably. That's how I feel um, about that. So, (laughs) and and likewise, we'll kind of fast forward to later on. So I am going to get into this. This says this. This, and I am going to summarize this. Uh, This is going to be a summary of. Ray's statement. So, um, and Ray would, you know, you did mention in the first, obviously Ray would pop up as being, and this is Ray Stapleton, um, Dr. Stapleton or whatever. Um, he would pop up as a suspect in all the papers, the public records. And obviously we talked about that. There's literally t-shirts that say the husband did it. Right. I mean, that's, that's the first not, place. Not that say that. Not that <laughs> not, say we're not saying it. that he did it. No, no, no we're not no, saying. No. But, but but that's, that's what the first they say. Place, that's the first place law enforcement yes. will look. Yes, they have to look, and and there Closest were other sources. Home. Yeah, and I did and read it doesn't, that. Up. It doesn't yes. matter socioeconomic status. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter education status. It doesn't no. matter any of that kind of stuff it it is always just procedural almost to go to the people that are closest to the ones that um that have been murdered or Mm -hmm. disappeared and they're looking for obvious motives and and whatnot because you know we've talked about this before typically the motives of you know murder or you know sex money and power you know power yeah Yeah, and and i and i wholeheartedly agree I mean, there's more. Well, I think um, just almost everything, like murder-wise, I, can be, yes. be, you know, dwindled tied down, to tied to one of the three. Actually, yes. murder or murder could be tied to power, money, or sex. And I feel like almost it's, and I, I do listen to, and I know you do too. We watch a lot of crime stuff and docu films and stuff, but it's so much about money. <laughs> It and is. probably and a I lot of mental illnesses. That too, but, but I money. didn't realize I didn't realize the extent of mm-hmm. some of that until I watched the Murdoch documentaries. <gasps> yes. And I was like, good grief. Yes. And I do think the other thing that I would add to the money power whatever list would be just cover up. Because I think a lot of times people are murdered and they didn't like they didn't mean to like an accident happened and then it's covered up. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like, yes. I really think, I think things steamroll and then it's like, what am I? Oh no. What just happened? And then it becomes, but then they call and their think, powerful friends and they try to get it covered up. Yes, exactly. Yes. And I, I do think that that happens. So, but um, I'm going to kind of dive into, so this is the statement and this just says summary of first interview. Um, so yeah, so we're going to get into it. Um, so this is Ray Stapleton, ER Stapleton. Um, and it just says he's the husband of the victim. Um, and he was interviewed in Cersei and it was 11 o'clock AM on October 10th of 1963. Um, and that he was, uh, related and engaged in teaching at the Superior State College in Superior, Wisconsin, um, where he had been employed since the first week of September. So fresh this is 1963 um as well so this was very a fresh situation um it says stapleton uh continued in his statement by stating that he had last seen his wife during the last few days of august um and at that time of his departure from cersei uh he was headed to wisconsin so basically he had stopped in cersei for a visit 
in that he had communicated with her uh, both by phone and letter on two or three occasions after he left in August. So he, you know, they were in communications. Um, He said when questioned about his opinion regarding uh, the victim's disappearance, and we kind of went into this already, that he did feel like it was transient, um, impossible, you know, Latinos kind of traveling in that area. Um, and he did elaborate on Ruby's complaint. If you've ever seen the pictures of Ruby, which we have posted, yeah, she, she was really pretty. In fact, it remarked on attractive teacher. Okay. Uh, he also remarked about his wife's golden life, which we had talked about, um, and that he had, you know, she lived for the church and school and that was, you know, and her church was the church of Christ and then the Harding college. Um, Stapleton states that he wanted, again, to ensure to the investigators that he was going to be very, you know, um, involved and that he would do whatever he needed to do as far as, you know, in their investigation. So he was very on board with with wanting and they and we did mention that he did cry. Um, He did cry and such. Okay. And that he was the, and he said that he loved Ruby very much. So this would be the second statement, okay? This was October 17th. So he did go into where he was born in Texas. um, And he just mentioned that his parents were farmers um, and that he grew up and finished high school um, in Wolf, Texas in 1926. And after that, he did attend college at Tyler, Texas Commercial College. In the next two years, um, he was secretary to the superintendent of the L&A Railway Company in Louisiana. Um, And during the fall of 19, I believe this says 28, this is very, you know, again, all of this paperwork is just very hard to read. Uh, It said he did come uh, to Harding College in Moralton. So that was when Harding was still located in Moralton. And he did receive his bachelor's degree in 1932. Uh, they retained him in the college division as a professor. And he taught at Moralton until uh, they moved the school to Searcy. And then he continued to teach in Searcy. Um, and he says until he got married uh, to Ruby in June of 1935. Um, And he said Mrs. Stapleton and him moved together. They moved to Alabama where he was the secretary treasurer of a place called the Empire Nursery and Orchard Company. And in that time frame, that was like 1938 to 1939. And he's also a superintendent of schools in Applin, Arkansas. So I guess they moved to this. I've never heard of Applin. I haven't either. No, I've never heard of that. Okay. And he said that, so he was the superintendent there and Mrs. Mrs. Stapleton was the principal teacher. Oh, and okay. in ni- Yeah. And in 1940 to 41, uh, the school term, during that school term, he said Mrs. Stapleton and him moved to Searcy and began teaching at Harding College. And then he taught there until 1953. Um, and this would have happened in 1963. So he did say he resigned that year and Mrs. Uh, Stapleton continued to teach until her disappearance um, 
October 8th of 1963. Uh, and after resigning at, at Harding College due to differences between himself and Dr. Benson, who was the president of Harding, um, he mentioned that it was based on economic viewpoints and because of his desire um, and need to get away from Mrs. Stapleton. Um, there, and this is his second interview. So again, his first interview, you know, so this, this was different story now, um, maybe like his real story. So there was two years that he tried to farm. So after this happened, he was trying to farm and raise cattle at the stags place. I don't know where this is. And he was still trying to, like he was staying in the home. So even, so it says for a couple of years, he was still in Cersei living in the home with Mrs. Stapleton while she worked. And he was just doing some farming and, and cattle work. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah. So moving on, he, uh, he mentioned from the very beginning of his marriage uh, to Ruby that he was aware that she had, you know, no regard and this, this statements from him, no regard for her personal hygiene or appearance. Um, and this, this was mentioned by Mary Claire and others. So I guess that was a thing, but in all appearances and pictures, she looked really nice. <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't know. You know, obviously we weren't there. Um, and he did mention that Ruby was, as quote unquote sexless sexless as any woman could be, um, and that he deplored, you know, having anything to do with her in that regard. So um, yes, so this was from Ray. And then he did say uh she would wear clothing to church and 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 out like out and about that should never have been worn even just in the home. Like it was just not tidy to him and not clean enough um and that she kept her house <laughs> just the same as she kept herself so it was just kind of that was her thing and that was mentioned by mary claire and that was mentioned in clarita's statements as well so that she just didn't you know that's just not what she was into i mean she just didn't keep which made it really interesting to me as to why she was really concerned about the whisk yeah i can see that i mean did you you could see why she was really interested in the no, whisk. I can see why, how why you were questioning the whisk <laughs> choices. Okay. Yeah. I guess that it kept coming up and it, then it stood out because I'd already read these statements about her housekeeping. So I just, I felt like that was a little different, although, you know, this had been years in the making. So maybe she was newly concerned with it or, could you know, be. cause she had got, she had gotten her hair done. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe she was just turning a corner. <laughs> or maybe she was just tired of everybody needing, needing, needing 24-7. Mm -hmm. And she just was like, screw it. I'm just, you know, yeah. going to wear yesterday's t-shirt. <laughs> oh, sounds, wait, that's me. This, I was about to say, this sounds like a personal. It um, is. That's, that's why none of that shocks me. So yeah, that's just a that. mom that's tired. It's just every day. Yeah. Everyday thing. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I got four hours sleep last night because I was reading this file. Yeah. So there. And I still look, you know, fabulous. Yes, no, of course. Yes, Blair. <laughs> of course you do, Blair. Shut, shut up, Joe. <laughs> Go ride your motorcycle. <laughs> she grew up in, you know, we talked about this in the Great Depression. And 
a lot of people that did, they did not throw stuff away because yeah, they're and like, I, you know, my mom and what, I lived you know? with, lived with two depression era mm-hmm. kids for most of my life. I mean, well, they weren't kids, but you know what I mean? Yeah. They'd been kids. Yes. The depression. <laughs> Your grandparents. My grandparents. <laughs> my mom and I lived with my grandparents for the majority of my life and they mm-hmm. didn't throw anything away and it pained me. It drove yeah. me crazy. So because I, you didn't I understand. Yeah. And my you grandmother just... was not a big house cleaner either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'd clean before you came over, but that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> my mom was like OCD, but I will say in her, my mom's later years, I would go to her house and be like, um, what's going on here? Like, I need to send my cleaners over. <laughs> She just couldn't see. I think she yeah. literally couldn't see. So you kind of lose your hearing and your eyesight as you get older. And you just, I think you stop caring. I think she's a little more laid back. But her house was always picked up. My mom's house was always picked up. But she did get lax in the cleaning department. Yeah. So that's a different story. Um, So he did go on, you know, about the house um, that they that they could not have visitors over. It was so bad that they had to shut off, like, the living room. <laughs> hey, I mean, like just, I won't yeah. let you into my bathroom. That's true. You did. So I was coming over. Yes. Was it yesterday? It was or the day before. The day before. Okay. And you were like, do not <laughs> or said, go no, ahead and go to the bathroom. No, I texted you and I said, yeah, come on over, but pee before you get here. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what you said. So and again, I... tell me something in that report that I'm not living every day. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. You, you are as Ruby as Ruby. (laughs) I shut off all the rooms in my house, man, except for the ones that like y'all have to be in, which is the living room, (laughs) the living room. So you do exactly what Ray's talking about here. Yes. (laughs) Um, yes. (laughs) You just mentioned, uh, just the condition that they were, you know, describing was just for him. It was deplorable. He says, um, and then he did talk about one man's opinion. (laughs) It's one man's opinion, and evidently, and especially if he was a very neat character, if he was very yeah, opposite, that would have that. been like hard. if my if my husband was like a neat freak or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wouldn't work around here. That so. would be a problem. Yeah, yeah that would. We be, don't call I mean, it the Bramlett frat house for for nothing. <laughs> we we don't. <laughs> I can attest to that. I went into the frat house what Tuesday night, and it was fratty. It was yes. loud and. Basketball boys everywhere on the floor, boys and everywhere yeah no one wearing pants or shirts <laughs> like max was <laughs> in a max diaper never wears a shirt that's yeah. okay i mean he's adorable but yeah. um Bo screaming he was screaming from the bedroom for you because he wanted food i told that you i live i live that life so screaming food shocking. boys yes yeah i don't and i don't li- and i was like and, and you were quiet you were, in your house i was like it's way too quiet in my house and you were like quit what'd you say like quit rubbing it in quit rubbing it in i'm like well yeah. sometimes it's too quiet except when Elle has over her her whole uh entourage of ladies <laughs> yeah and i i love her friends but anyway okay so he does go into the sex life which is important to you know men anyway um it, not to but we don't have to <laughs> i just said to that. men yeah i just said to about men everybody um but he did say uh with his you know miss stapleton became it just that wasn't in a good way you know there was no desire there um and then he does say that i he, don't know why he sounds like a peach <laughs> You just said that really sarcastic. Oh, yeah. Sorry. 
sorry uh, <laughs> that that basically he that kind of for him um yeah he kind of that and it, this is according to him he actually you know kind of made no desire for female sex so it's just kind of period and then they did talk about her cooking and her cleaning and her caring for the children um and he did go into in his statement so this is all in his statement he did say you know that he had had homosexual tendencies uh from infancy uh due to this lack of love and affection at this time you know coupled with his you know sexless life um and so that's what he he discussed with the uh in his statement um, and it does go into, and I will say this, it does go into some names. We're not going to do that. Um, and I will say there, there are pages, this, this statement of his is several pages long. It's about 12 pages long and it does go into many names and we're not going to get into that. So after, you know, in 1953, he did leave the school. So it does say, you know, and after leaving Harding in 53, um, he would pick up hitchhikers. Um, and so he did mention that that was going on. He would pick up hitchhikers. Um, and this went on for several pages. Um, and he kind of got into that because the, the, I will say the police officers had already been talking to people, interviewing people. They interviewed people at, where he worked at the places that he worked and he had kind of moved around quite a bit after he left Harding. Um, he went into, and Amber, you'll interject here. Like he lived in Texas. Um, he taught at a school in North Carolina, Virginia, like there were several places that he was working, um, in different colleges. So the police were trying to kind of put together this whole, trail and trying to find out all about him and his relationships. And so he was wanting, the police were wanting him to outline all of his relationships. So he does get to the point where he does outline the relationships with the Gray Chandler and then the Carl Koresh, correct? Yeah, I missed, I misspoke and called Gray Gary in the last oh. podcast. Okay. But Gray. I see Gary when I see it too. So yeah. I have to kind of be like, Gray. Well, I thought it was, yeah. a, I thought the paper had, I thought it was a misprint in the paper because they, that is well documented that those were the two that, that made the calls and love it. Yes, they, they were. And so he goes into, in his statement, there were, there were several other men mentioned, but they, they were mentioned for a reason because of, you know, that. So anywho, but he did get into the, the, Karash and Chandler. So basically he met them. They were, they were transients. They, they were homeless men. They kind of lived on the road. Um, he would, he met them on the road. I think he picked them up and he would, I think he had picked up one and then the other one introduced him. So he does talk about how he did have, you know, homosexual acts with both of them. And over several years, he would end up giving these men about $4,000 is what it totaled up to over the span of several years. And he did, and that's just the money that he would wire them and whatever. But he also set them up in hotels. Like when they would come through, they would call him. He would set them up at the Capitol Hotel. And they do mention 
back in this time in the 60s that the Capitol Hotel was a dump. Hmm. So That's I think weird. I thought that was interesting because it is beautiful now and it is like an extremely nice hotel to stay in. But at that time, so they, they stayed at that time, the Capitol Hotel was across from this, the, I think this train station. So the train station was there and the Capitol Hotel was just not in good repair. So I don't know if it was just because it was very old at that time and just not kept up or whatever. Um, They do mention, and me and Amber found this extremely fascinating because they were going all over the country. Like they were going, it's like they were on a perpetual merry-go-round in this country. Like they were everywhere. They were in every state, but they did mention that they hung out and stayed at the the Cecil is it called the Cecil? I thought it was the Cecil Hotel. There I don't a, know. We'll Tell have us. to. We'll have we'll to have look, to look at that it. one up. Yeah, it was, but, there's a Netflix documentary about that hotel. That did was you really watch popular. that? Yeah, I did. And I think it was, was that Cecil. shocking to you. Oh, you mean about the the appearance of the girl? Oh gosh, yes. Oh, that was awful. That was so shocking. If you guys have not watched, what is it? I don't know. We'll post it. But it was. That was so shocking to me. Um, but they did stay at the Cecil Hotel. And the Cecil Hotel was known for Cecil Hotel. Cecil, Cecil, Cecil. Cecil. But um, it was known for like kind of homeless people. I think they took in transients or kind of like pay by the it was it was always a cheap place to stay, basically. Um then now everywhere <laughs> whatever i think they're they're trying to rebrand probably since that netflix well the night um, and that night incident stalker, richard ramirez actually stayed at that hotel oh, yeah oh yeah tons of i think didn't um also like oh what's his name not ted bundy but several others stay there <laughs> there was a I lot think, there was a lot I, going on at I that hotel i think they said richard ramirez came in literally with blood all over him and just walked into his hotel room like nothing. I do remember that from, it was just, it was that kind of place. It was, it was on Skid Row, but they stayed at places like that. They were, they were just, you know, they really were constantly. Well, it says um, in 1962, there was a man uh walking by the Cecil hotel with his hands in his pocket when he was struck to death by a falling woman who fell out of, who fell out a window at the Cecil. Now that is terrible. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot. I mean, there's a whole documentary about this hotel. Yes. Well, there's a lot. It is. It is very interesting. And it does to call dive it in there. a serial killer's paradise. Richard Ramirez was there. Um, yeah. So lots of different. Uh, uh, Jack uh, Unter something Unterweger. Who? Uh, yeah, he was. I guess a serial killer as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Lots Not, of serial killers. It doesn't sound like that was a good place at the time. Yeah. I think at any time. So I think that that's true, true to be. Um, But yes, so his, a lot of, a lot of Ray's statement here does get into just his relationships um, and particularly those two men. Um, And like I said, it did mention some others and, and even some, but, and there will be, we're going to just tell you there will be a book written about this. I'm not going to say anything about that because it's it's in the works and it'll probably it's not outline by us. Every, it's, it's not, not by, written by us. Not by us. Not written by us. But it um it's I've read this these people's work before. It's going to be very in depth. I will say so. They're probably going to go into every single nitty gritty detail. But me and Amber decided that that was you know 
that's a lot. It's a lot going on. So we're definitely not going to give any names out um, for people in Cersei. So Ray's statements just pretty much went to that. So a lot of the police file was kind of centered around that, honestly. Um, and I will get into a few other things. But they did polygraph um, Mary Claire and Glenn. So her and, feelings. But let me add that that polygraph mm-hmm. tests are not admissible in court, no. and and just no. to think about the polygraphs in, in nineteen in the nineteen sixties, I don't know mm-hmm. how reliable those would be. So I don't put a lot into oh, that. No. Oh no, I don't either. And this was based on her. You know, they're just looking at blood pressure responses or or whatever. But I, you, know, you know, if I was yeah. in that situation, my blood pressure would be skyrocketing. I've, feel like mine would be extremely high just in general (laughs) just asking my name I would be like "Eh, I don't know but anyway so I don't I don't personally put any you know thing on this or whatever but yes so she they felt like she did not know but she felt like it was family she felt like someone in the family was responsible for having, you know, she just felt at that time that that was, that that was reality. So she didn't really, she didn't really know, but, and we still don't know, obviously. So that's what we're, we're trying to, to pinpoint and trying to get information on. So this was all done. All of these polygraphs were done in October and then Glenn's, his polygraph was done in December, okay? And and they were, or the polygraphs were done in December. The interviews took place in October. Um, and so we're going to kind of jump. So the file, the file that Mary, um, that Mary Claire's daughter got, Heather, so it kind of, basically that's all the information that it had in there were just a lot of the statements at that time. Um and it does have, I will go into other things. So it does produce several names in the file of people. So the police were really working all the areas around the country. They were trying to find similar situations in which, you know, similar things happened to women. That's what they were looking for. And so which they, they should have. I mean, that would have been the first thing oh, yeah. most departments did. Yes. So from my point of view, they were really looking, they were really trying hard as far as they were talking to everybody. They were talking to everyone related um, with Ray, connected with Ray. And they did come back and that Karash and Chandler, they did track down where these two men were October 8th. And they were actually staying at a Salvation Army um, in Louisiana. So they got evidence from everyone and they tracked down all the other names in the file that we found like they tracked them all down and confirmed that they could not have done it so they were kind of following these leads until they kind of couldn't any longer and they did pull i didn't in the file they did have long distance phone records so they pulled all the phone records they pulled all the financial and bank statements um between ray um, and also between, you know, uh, Ruby, because they have a lot of of stuff. They had a lot of stuff together. Um, she did have her own bank account. He had his own bank account. And, and but- this that you're relaying right now can be can be read uh, mm-hmm. in the article from AY Magazine. So this isn't some yes. this isn't some breaking news we're breaking on here. This is, oh, no. this is readily found on the internet on that mm-hmm. article series. 
in a Y. Yes. So that's, that's all known, but in, you know, all of the, the other stuff that we've discussed, but it, it does, the file goes into all of the details of the long distance records and it does show all the bank records. Um, and they did, they did look at Ray. They looked at Ray closely. They looked at everyone surrounding him closely. And at that time they felt like there was nothing there. They looked at every, they looked at everyone. Now I think that it's a very interesting thing. So and I want you to help me with this. A lot of the, like a lot of the, sorry, <laughs> I am blah, blah, blah tonight. But um, the Oren, what's his name? The Oren Ray, the other suspect that we had mentioned Oren in the first. Oren Ray Hayes. And he yeah. was mentioned in the AY magazine um, that had been, he had been a name that was always talked about. And mm-hmm. his ended up being more gossip than anything else. He had been picked mm-hmm. up by the police. He had been questioned. And afterwards, he had been released. Uh, he mm-hmm. he also, uh, just a couple of really interesting things about him. He His wife uh, mm-hmm. died of strychnine poisoning within, um, I think, a few months of mm-hmm. the Stapleton case. And he was yes. not arrested for that either and then i think in the early 70s or at some point in the 70s he was part of um he was part of a a, i think a burglary case and Mm -hmm. that was dismissed as well okay and i couldn't and i was particularly particularly trying to find his name in the file in the in the state police file because heather did mention that he was originally in the 1993 case file that was given to them um at that time they went through his name was mentioned several times in that file but now i didn't see it and you didn't see it so i i did not but there is a ray that i did go back through it and ray is mentioned there's another name out beside it so he is mentioned in this file as ray not as or i guess he went by ray but it says probably ray hayes in the file it doesn't have any notes with it so it's just like it's just a jotted down note from the officer. Does that make sense? And then it does say a blue, white, 1956 Chevy. I don't know. It says something. Oh, Thunderbird. It says also Thunderbird. So it's outlining some vehicles that these men had. And I do recall there was, you know, maybe some discussion that they were driving around that night or whatever. Um, so we'll kind of get into that. So this information um, was sent to Heather. So this this is directly from, from Heather, but it was sent, and I'll tell you at the end who it was sent by. Um, so it does say Mama was working at Harding Laundry that, that, that year, and I guess this was 1963, uh, doing alterations. But one day in late October, a man brought in some clothing to be cleaned, uh, from heavy blood stains. The man was a known bootlegger who lived south of town. Greg Rhodes, the manager of the laundry, called the police, and he told, uh, and he was told to go ahead and clean the clothing. That the man was a hunter and had probably killed an animal. Uh, Mama came home that day in tears. She cried and cried. Emotions were raw that fall, but she felt the police should have picked up the clothing. Everyone who worked in the laundry was aware of the clothing. Uh, Lot Tucker and Dr. Benson were called. 
Um, and I think they are the ones who told Uncle Greg to call the police. Later, I think this man was questioned about your grandmother. So this is this lady's telling, you know, Heather, um, his wife died about two to three months later. And I think he spent time in prison for her death. We have always felt like the investigation was was botched, whether it was inefficiency or carelessness or whatever. So this is what she's saying. And then she just says that she'll be praying for Heather. So um, she asked if she remembered. So this lady that conveyed this, you know, Heather asked if she remembered the name. And the lady said, Ray, I think. I think he was questioned eventually, maybe after his wife's death, something else that my granddad and I saw might be interesting, maybe helpful to you. My grandparents lived over on West Arch, about three blocks west of west of Westside Church. And I had been at their house one afternoon, somewhere around 430 or 5, and I don't remember the time. Just know it was late afternoon and granddad drove me back home. There was a four-way stop at the corner of Arch and Gum where the post office was. The building still stands. Um, As granddad stopped, Miss Ruby also came to a stop going north. Granddad tooted and waved and she never looked our direction. I will never forget the look on her face. It was a mixture of anger and determination. Um, And granddad says she's angry about something. Something has happened. He took me... On home, she she disappeared that very night. So that was the same day that Ruby disappeared. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Granddad said later he wished so much he had either followed her car to see where she was going or given her a call later uh, to see if she was okay. White County had gone dry after three elections in 58, 60, and 62. Remember, we kind of talked about this, that, you know, we are in a dry county, which means that we don't have quote-unquote liquor stores, but... It wasn't always that way. <laughs> so we were talking about that. So it had actually gone dry um, in 58, according to this. But I know it was even dry back in, remember, because we went into the Galloway Gertie, our very first episode. So right. the Galloway the Galloway College wasn't going to come to Cersei if we were wet. Hmm. So we said, so this is all alleged information, but this was information told to Heather so that so that we are conveying that information. Okay, so, and then also additional information in the file. So we do have, they did provide a letter, I guess, to the Arkansas State Police or had it turned over to the Arkansas State Police. So the letter was several pages long and it was written, um, the name, her name was Billy. She has since passed. I did look her up. Um, And so she wrote the letter to J.R., and my thinking was, and probably J.R. Uh, was the name of the police chief in Cersei in the 90s. This letter was written in the 90s. Um, and evidently, this letter was written by a counselor. So she was counseling people. So she doesn't outline their names. She just mentions initials in her letter. So there's no names. I've I've reached out to her family, they don't know anything about it. In fact, they did not realize that she wrote a letter to the police until many years, like until recently. So again, there's a letter in the file that was written uh, by, her name was Billy. She has passed. And she just mentioned some people that by initials (laughs) that were counseling with her, that the woman, the wife was thinking her husband did have something to do with killing Ruby. Um, So 
this was a concern, enough concern to her that she wanted the police to know and check into it. I have no clue if they did anything with this letter. The letter's in the file, but it doesn't have any type of notes. It doesn't have any type of further information that someone was interviewed. That's a little bit frustrating to me um, that nothing else was done with this information. So I, I don't, and I don't know why nothing else was done with this information. I, I think it was pertinent, but it does show that the wife was thinking that he did it because based on things that he said, and he was kind of getting older and sick and he would say things about killing a teacher, killing a, you know, and, and things about the body and such. So he had mentioned these things in the letter and she mentions them. And then also, so at first the woman was thinking that her husband had no clue where Bull Creek was. And then she had talked to, so she had kind of put it out of her mind that he could have been involved, but he did work like on Main Street in 1963. I will say that. And he also evidently, she found out later that he did know exactly where Bull Creek was. He would be, he he was familiar with that area. He was into hunting and fishing and she was told by friends and relatives that he knew where Bull Creek was. So she felt like her husband was responsible and she conveyed this to her counselor and the counselor wrote a lengthy letter to the police. And they, and so obviously the Arkansas state police had this letter in their file. So they received it, but, there is no indication that anything was done with this letter. Interesting. And Yes. So, and this was in the 90s. And it does, you know, all it says is their initials. And it talks about how she did, you know, she tracked down some of the stuff. You know, she had these things in her head, but she tracked down where he worked. She confirmed where he worked in 1963 through photographs and such and other people. And then she did confirm that he knew where the like Ruby's body was found. So that was super interesting to me. I think that that's a huge possible lead. I don't, I don't understand if this file is open, you know, they need, they need to check into it. Definitely. Um, but it does say in the file as well that in a lot of information, I don't know that you can tell that they were starting like the criminal investigation division so the cold case division actually got a hold of the file in like 2014. So going backwards a little bit, the belt and the button and the brazier. So way back in 63, all of this information was sent to the FBI. So obviously at that time, the state of Arkansas did not have that type of lab situation to process evidence, physical evidence like that. And so there is a letter in the file that indicates that, you know, they were sending the information to be looked at. They wanted everything to be, you know, looked at by the FBI. The FBI came back. It does state, and it was very hard to read all, every single word of the document, but the FBI did come back and say that there was, oh, uh, sorry. And I didn't include, they sent the cotton that was in Ruby's throat as well. So those were the items that were sent to the FBI. Um, so everything that they could have. So the cotton, so they did, the FBI did respond in a letter and said that they could not find anything significant about any of that physical evidence found and that 
they did not have anywhere to store this this physical evidence. And so they were going to send it back to the Arkansas State Police. So in 2014, this officer, um, it's it's a David Moss, he is trying to track down all of this evidence. So he sends letters out to the FBI. He sends letters out to the Arkansas State Police um, where the file you know, evidence was supposed to be kept like their locker or whatever. He sent letter out to the white County um, Sheriff's department. And he sent a letter out to the, the Searcy police department. They all came back and said that there was no physical evidence found or there, none of those things were found. There was nothing. And the FBI had come back and said that anything that they had had, had been, you know, had been destroyed. They did not say how it was destroyed or if it was destroyed on purpose or whatever, but it had been destroyed in 1993. So it's so frustrating. It is. It's very frustrating. Yes. I'm just like, so every single week. So bottom line is there is a lot of information in this file. There's just so much. And there's so much that Heather is looking into. She does have the Facebook page, um, the Ruby Stapleton uh, Facebook page that you can go, please go check that out. Um, She is always, you know, we're still looking for evidence and we don't know how that can come about. You know, I, I think if you have any leads or if you have any family knowledge or any, Anybody that you think that would know about this case, you know, definitely have them uh, connect with Heather and and get in that group and give her any information that you have. Like I said, there is a book in the works that's going to completely lay out every single detail in this case file. Um, And we have skimmed it for the case file, not the book. Do what? We've and, skimmed the case file. <laughs> obviously, I would love to skim the book. Uh, I have a feeling the book's going to be very well written because their other books have been well written. But yeah, this case file has, you know, it's so much. There's so much information here that it's impossible for us to, you know, there's just not enough time unless we devoted like a whole season to this. So yeah, so, yeah, so there's just not enough time. But we feel like we've outlined um, the high points in it. You know, everybody was looked at it doesn't the police clearly did a lot of deep diving in 1963 and then i feel like for whatever reason they just they just stopped you know i don't know there's not a lot of information and part of it i'm sure is the age of the file i do feel like when heather you know filed her request originally in 2013 and it was denied i think personally looking at this um and based on what she had said was in 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 the file in 1993 i feel like i mean that's a lot of time for things to get condensed to get misplaced to get i mean i don't know there's just a lot i think they probably tried to go digital with some of this paperwork i guess yes i mean um, i worked at a police department for several mm-hmm. years and i worked in public information and i put together foia requests and everything you're talking about is very true. I mean, they do get backlogged. There mm-hmm. is a lot of stuff that they have to keep up with. And sometimes there is, there's just not a lot of room. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine, I mean, yeah, 50 years, 60 years of information. And it's so sad to me because I'm sure it comes down to funding and just having the space, you know, because like yeah, I said, exactly the exactly F- what it comes down to is, yeah, is funding, and, funding space. and space. 
Well, and even the FBI came back and said that they didn't have information. I mean, this is the FBI. <laughs> so, I mean, they couldn't even, they didn't have a place to store this evidence. So they were sending it back to the Arkansas State Police. And then even as of 1993, they, they had destroyed records. Um, and there was, we didn't, we didn't even dive into, there was another, you know, um, I will say there was another person that the police were filing, were crossing a lead on his last name was Burns and that he had been involved in a similar case, like I believe in Illinois. Yes. We, but they, they, you know, and they I kind of put, the, put they, that out. They did put that out there, but into 2014, but he was not mm-hmm. in the state at the time. They thought that, you know, possibly he could be yes. here because we had the, of missile, the missile silo. silo. Mm-hmm. And um, so they looked, they, they looked at his tracks during that time and, and they figured out that there was probably mm-hmm. no way he was here during that time. Yes. And that would have been 2014. So that would correlate with the time frame that she had filed her request. So I don't know if that had anything to do with well, their reasoning. If that, Yeah. I mean, cause that is new information, true or not. Mm-hmm. If it ended up being true or not, it's still new information. And that they were, they were, they were at least looking into that, which, which does make sense. Cause evidently he had, murdered someone and taken her from a lawn you know like a yes and his name was his so. name was roger burns he roger was a burns. former u.s air force radar technician mm-hmm. and he was convicted um of a similar murder in illinois in 1965 mm-hmm. so similar time frame similar situation and and he did go to he spent time in jail because yes, they got him for it he did so Yes. So, and that was, so that was, you know, there was a lot, you can tell there are a lot of leads that the police followed. They were going around to all the different states um, and none of the leads produced enough information to definitely, you know, arrest anybody or say anybody was involved in this. So, which saddens me, but I do think that this letter written by Billy is something um, evidently, you know, there are thoughts about Ray still, you know, about his involvement. So anyway, so, you know, there are, we are still looking into this with Heather. Um, there could be down the road if there's any developments. Obviously, we will, we will revisit this. But um, if you have any information at all about the Stapleton uh, murder, please connect with Heather um, and please go to her page and we will uh, be sharing all of this information, but you, and you can email us and connect with us. So, um, so yeah. So do, is there anything, Amber, can you think um, of anything no, else? To, uh, yeah, okay. You pretty much said it all. So yeah, ditto. Um, but <laughs> you know, we, we do want to reiterate that everything we've said today is public record and, or is, in this case or, file provided, or in this yes. case file or has mm-hmm. been reported mm-hmm. before online or in a newspaper yes. and we've looked at newspapers all the way back to 1963 so there was a lot of research and a lot of hours put into this case mm-hmm. we do want to thank heather who is ruby's maternal yes. granddaughter and well i guess any granddaughter's maternal right um <laughs> i don't know i don't well, know whatever whatever that means what that is that is ruby's <laughs> granddaughter and uh, she's been very helpful and i hope yes. that she's 
I hope that she finds answers and I hope that she finds closure and we at Unexplained yes. Arkansas will be more than willing to help her in, in this journey. So, but we thank you mm-hmm. guys for listening very yes. much and we will be back next week with, with another Unexplained Arkansas. In the meantime, yes. you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram. You can send us an email at unexplained Arkansas at gmail dot mm-hmm. gmail dot com. <laughs> yes. I think and about we that did have <laughs> and we did have two more countries, by the way. So now we're in nineteen countries, yep. unless there's yep. more since so, we last So Mexico about, so. and Greece are our new countries. Yeah. So we're I'm really excited, excited about, about that. that. Yep. All yes. righty. Well All that right. is it. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.